I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, a physician and voice technology futurist. Voice First Technology is rapidly becoming the operating system of our lives, and it will completely revolutionize the way we experience healthcare. Let's talk voice. Voice First Health, the future of health is voice. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Voice First Health. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, and we have a very different type of episode today. We are talking about a topic that is extremely important in the area of voice technology and healthcare. And today I have a lawyer coming on, Bianca Phillips, who lives in Melbourne, Australia, and she is a leader, she is a researcher in the area of digital health lawmaking. And I really wanted to have her on the show so that we can talk about some of these issues that are so important for all of us in this voice voice healthcare space. Now, the way I discovered uh, Bianca is she is listed as one of the speakers at the upcoming Voice of Healthcare Summit, the VOH Summit. And we do refer to VOH a number of times uh, in this episode, and we are referring to that area of voice of healthcare. Bianca explains in this episode the eight pillars of digital health lawmaking that she has uh, come up with and how each one of these are so critical in the development of appropriate laws for healthcare, but at the same time, trying not to stifle innovation. Bianca also takes us through a number of thought experiments, which are very fascinating, and they really opened my eyes to a number of issues that are going to be forthcoming when we look at voice and healthcare. So without any further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Bianca onto the podcast. Well, hi, Bianca. It is a real pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me and the listeners. Well, thank you, Terry, uh, for having me here. Now, you are over in Australia, in Melbourne, Australia, and um, I know it's the middle of the night there, so this is real commitment to be here on the podcast, so I really appreciate that, as the listeners do. I was hoping that we could start by learning a little bit about you and what you do, because you have a very unique perspective to bring to this voice technology space. Great. Uh, thank you. Um, so I'm a lawyer from Melbourne, Australia, and um my background really is in teaching law, actually, and um, and then I started researching in medical law and digital health law, and um, I'm fortunate that I've had support from a couple of universities here in Melbourne to explore this research, and um, I'm the founder of a couple of digital health initiatives, so and there's the Electronic Health Consulting Group and a framework for lawmaking in the age of digital health. Uh, which perhaps I can come back to later. Um, but for the moment, maybe I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of an overview of my research. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. And a little bit about, maybe even like, how did you get it, get interested in this? What's the, what's the background behind that as well? Yeah. Um, so it all started uh, actually at the University of Melbourne, Melbourne Law School, studying a Master of Law uh, there in medical law. And our... Professor Loanne Skeen asked us to write an essay on digital health. That's how it all began for me. I wrote that paper and it was fascinating and it just went from there. I researched and did my thesis on telemedicine and the law and started publishing. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. So uh, you've been looking at this uh, area for quite some time now. Yes, I have been. Great. So let's hear, yeah, let's hear a little more about, like you were saying, some overviews of what you've been working on and how this ties into the voice technology space. 
Absolutely. Uh, so there's a, a broad question that I'm interested in, and that is how are we going to achieve a future that is immersed in digital health and globally? And, uh, you know, if we think about lawmakers and their role, um, they have immense power to shape the future of digital health. And the law decides how technologies can be created, developed, and used clinically and commercially, and essentially imposes restrictions on the technology world in terms of what they can and cannot do. So my interest is in how lawmakers make their choices on questions of compliance, privacy, security, data ownership, and civil rights. Wow. Uh, yeah, through my research, um, I examine their decision-making processes to unpack those choices and provide an opinion on whether they've been accountable for the reasons of their decisions. Fantastic. And so how, practically, what does that look like in your mind? How do you go about and, and, and do that to ensure that the appropriate laws and the appropriate measures are in place to, to protect the public? Well, that's right. I mean, there is a balance that needs to be struck between the interests of the community, but also ensuring that um, we do not make it too difficult for companies to innovate uh, and that the red tape is not um, too much. Um, so that's a, an issue that we have in digital health and it's something that needs to be explored. Um, but I guess my focus has been more on um, some some other aspects, not really compliance, but more on things like ownership and control um, of medical records. And um, I'm looking forward to talking about those topics at the VOH Summit in August. Absolutely. One of the ways that I found you was through the, yeah. uh, the list of speakers at the VOH Summit, because I know that uh, there's always a, uh, a really great lineup of speakers there. Um, I know you've been publishing some things on LinkedIn as well about some of your ideas. And one of the things that uh, I came across was the idea of eight pillars of digital health lawmaking, which I think is a, a nice framework to take this information and, and allow it to be digestible in an easy way. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you see as the main pillars and how that all fits into this area? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a little bit of a background as to how that actually um, was developed. So sure. as, as part of the, the research, um, I was observing lawmaking in a specific field of digital health, and that was the um, Australian My Health Record System. And um, I applied, you know, certain methodology to conduct this work. And what I did was I just codified the process of lawmaking. Um, so I wrote down the elements um, that were considered along the way to the lawmaking journey. And I observed that there were eight key elements or pillars for lawmaking. Uh, and then I, I looked at them and I thought, well, this ordering is not right. It's not really compliant with principles of evidence-based medicine, um, do, the do no harm principle uh -huh. and the protection of um, civil rights. So I have reordered the the framework. I've shifted it around a little bit. Great. Um, yeah, and really, I mean, a way to describe these eight pillars um, is that it's a principle principle centered framework for digital health. Um, so the idea being that principles um, or values that you may hold dear um, can be at the heart of digital health decision making. Um, so to give you a breakdown of what they are, sure. Um, 
The first one is that lawmakers should be accountable for the reasons of their decisions. And then I go into saying that um, human rights factors should be considered um, clinical benefit, societal benefit, harm reduction, risk reduction, uh, business case and uh, public consultation. Wonderful. So those are the the main eight uh, pillars. Are you able to dive into each one of those just a little bit more and, and explain a little bit more about each one of those and why that's important or the context of each one of those? Yes, sure. Um, so the first one, accountable for the reasons of their decisions. The idea here is that when lawmakers um, make statements in Parliament um, about why they are enacting a certain law or why they're backing it, um, oftentimes uh, as part of debates in Parliament, they don't actually provide sources um, because it's a speech that they're presenting um, to, to Parliament, so they don't provide their sources. So it can be very difficult to actually ascertain the reasons for their decisions. Mm. Um, a, big, a big issue I found in the My Health space was that when they did provide references, they provided references oftentimes to a business case document and the sources contained within that were very um, old sources that probably wouldn't have relevance today. So that's the first one, the idea that um, if you're going to make a statement that you can back it up with a, a source. Great. Um, the second one is human rights. So the you know this is applying um, human rights um, principles to lawmaking. In Australia, when you enact a law, um, you need to provide a statement of compatibility with human rights. Um, but we actually had here a situation where a human rights commission and a parliamentary joint committee on human rights had raised concerns about the My Health record system, and mm. um, but those considerations were not really looked into closely enough as part of the lawmaking process um, and not factored into lawmaking because ultimately they they went for an opt-out model oh, well. here in, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, the third one, in, uh, it can be combined with number five, so harm reduction and a clinical benefit. This is about applying uh, clinical medicine principles, the idea that you um, are going to do something if it's of benefit to your patients, applying evidence-based medicine uh, uh, notions and also harm reduction, you know, the idea of doing no harm right. to patients. Right. And, uh, and then there are some others. Business case, um, in Australia we have um, a specific process called the gateway process to determine whether high-risk, high-cost ventures um, should be pursued by government and um, we have a specific process called the gateway process. So as part of number seven, it's about assessing the business case, but it's lower down than uh, the other considerations. Ah. So these are all prioritized in your mind as far as which is which is most important? Yeah, so um, it, it's interesting actually um, because there, there are a few which I would place at equal importance uh, actually. Um, you know, some of them in the, in the middle, for example. Um, but I guess it's it's really about um, demonstrating that uh, whilst business case is very important, um, not disputing that whatsoever, um, that if we could start considering some of these other factors earlier on in the decision-making process, um, I think it could be of huge benefit because they are going to come back to be considered later on. Um, so it's better, I think, if we can shift them uh, shift them up in, in the ordering. That's great. Um, I, you know, something that 
well, it's constantly coming up in discussion with um, companies and developers that are looking at the voice first space and they're creating these applications and skills for Amazon Alexa and Google and so on is the whole idea of the data and where's the data being stored and how much can you do? And I know a lot of developers are waiting for, at least in the United States, for things to come on and be HIPAA compliant. Yes. Um, do you have any comments about that whole area in terms of the data and, and you know, what are, what are some best practices that we should be looking for or hoping for versus what you think might actually happen and how does that all play in? Absolutely. So, with, you know, with compliance, um, that's, a, that's a tricky one. I mean, in the VOH space especially, um, you know, it's waiting for HIPAA compliance, um, you know, to all be to be met. Um, that's definitely a barrier towards actually seeing VOH being a key contributor in healthcare. Um, so I think we're all waiting for that time where that can that that will happen, and I have no doubt that it will uh, happen at some point. Um, but we really need to think carefully about ensuring that the rules that we create protect people, but do not place too much of a burden on innovators. Do not stifle innovation because, you know, you can create a technology, and by the time you've reached all the compliance requirements the technology is out of date and then you're having to start again or reframe your technology so that's a question for lawmaking did you have any thoughts like how do you actually find that balance or how do you what's the what are the best standards of care or or what are the best ways that we go about doing that it's really tricky um and it's very much jurisdiction specific so um yeah it, it it is tricky um i think you know the big the big one is privacy. So I think that's the the aspect of digital health that gets the most attention actually, um, privacy and security right. issues. And uh, it's you know really about deciding what place privacy has in our lives and in society. And if we hold it to be something of great importance um, and the criteria are very strict, then those compliance requirements are going to be quite difficult to meet sometimes. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a bit of a discussion there that needs to happen as well. Right. Underlying that, yeah. One of the things that I've just, I've sort of noticed maybe anecdotally or people have commented to me, and I don't know if you've noticed the same sort of trend, but I wonder if some of this is sort of a generational thing and the younger generation isn't as quite as concerned about their privacy when it comes to sharing things online or social media and, and, First of all, I'm curious. Like, do you do you agree with that? Do you do you, do you think I'm totally wrong about that? But um, the second part is, how, how does that influence then lawmaking? That's a good question um, because you know the people making the laws are not going to be um, necessarily of that age, um, and so their interests may be may be different. Um, you know, and that's a really interesting part of it all. Looking at why lawmakers make the choices that they do, um, but I have to admit that. That's something I, I actually stayed away from in my research in the sense that I don't address political or other influences that cause uh, people to go down the paths that they do. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I actually, my research was grounded in the theoretical assumption uh, based on prior theories uh, that lawmakers are reasonable people pursuing reasonable purposes. So that uh, I didn't look at the why aspect of it all. Great. Now, I know another area that you are interested in is with regards to ownership and 
control um, of health uh, data and so on. Um, tell us a little bit more about that because I know that's uh, an area of interest for you. It is. Um, ownership and control is one of the most significant areas um, for assessment in the digital age. And um, the big question is who should own health information? And it's actually a really complicated question. Um, and also the one around control, you know, who should control health information? They are distinct principles. So you could be in control of health information, but not own it. Um, I'll, I'll delve into that a little bit more. Please. Um, I thought maybe I could provide a little thought experiment on ownership and how it could apply to BOH. Sure, sure. Um, so if you imagine the following situation, um, an Australian patient uh, has undergone surgery to insert uh, breast implants and complications arise and the patient has to undergo surgery for, for a bilateral capsulotomy. And a year later, she develops a lump on the left side and is diagnosed uh, with a leak, a leakage from silicone gel. And she undergoes a further surgery. And her surgeon has recorded all notes using a virtual assistant. Uh, and the virtual assistant took information about the description of the patient's medical condition, the history of the referral, uh, observations from examination of the patient, and correspondence between the surgeon and other doctors. Now, those notes are very clear, so they're very easy to understand, and an audit log of those requests or the questions that were asked to the VA are stored um, in the activity section of that platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometime later, let's imagine that a class action litigation is commenced against the manufacturer of the implants, which is an overseas company. And they make it a requirement that Australian litigants like the patient will be excluded from the settlement with the manufacturer unless they can file copies of their medical records in support of their claim. Hmm. Now, if you're a doctor, you would not want to provide the audit log, potentially. Maybe, maybe not, (laughs) of the conversations you had with the virtual assistant because you might be of the opinion that those conversations are personal records of your thought processes and you might argue that they are not medical records. So the question in this example is who owns the audit log information, Uh, the creator of the technology, the doctor, or the patient, and even if a different party owns it, can the patient access it according to to law? Now, that's one example. Wow. You might be thinking at this point, what's the likelihood of that happening? I'll give you another example. Um, a patient has been diagnosed, let's say, by a psychiatrist as having narcissistic personality disorder, and the diagnosis was made as part of a medico-legal report created by a psychiatrist who is an expert witness in their workers' compensation claim. So they're trying for workers' compensation. And the patient wants to know how the doctor was able to substantiate the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. So imagine for a moment you're a doctor, you're a psychiatrist, and you receive 
a letter from the patient as follows, and and I quote, it says that they, they request all records and materials of any nature in your possession or control, which you purport to substantiate and or support your expressed diagnosis, i.e. those which record the specific DSM-4 criteria satisfied to make your personal diagnosis. So again, Wow. Questions of ownership and control come up. Now, interestingly, these hypotheticals um, are actually inspired by real cases that came before the courts in Australia on data control and ownership. And whilst they had nothing to do with VOH at all, um, you can see how there are issues that could come up that need to be worked through. And I don't think this is something that we need to be... Uh, so scared about that we don't pursue um, digital health technologies. The great thing is that we can look forward to the potential scenarios that could come up and, you know, by exploring previous cases and think about what we can do to better protect practitioners and patients in different scenarios, um, but also ask the big question of who should own and control health information. Wow. Those are some really interesting thought experiments. And to be honest, you know, I haven't thought about those in that detail, in that, in that context. So very, very interesting. So, you know, my, the, the gears in my mind right now are you're mulling this over and thinking, so if I have a conversation with my uh, virtual assistant, my voice assistant, you know, one of the things I'm wondering about is, is one of the issues that you raise is, is that part of a medical record? Are those my own personal thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I guess I'm assuming there's no clear answer to this at this point. This is something that we have to work through. Absolutely. N- not at this point. And to make it even more complicated, um, you know, across jurisdictions, you have different rules and different language within legislation. So in Australia, we have um, federal laws that govern how we control and use health information. And the complex part there is that we have um, clearly under our federal law, what you can call a bundle of rights, hmm. uh, thesis of or conception of ownership. And um, this is something that has general ag- agreement amongst legal academics here in Australia. Um, there was a, a, a theorist and uh, a lawyer, uh, his name is Tony Honore, and he's actually recently passed, but he developed the incidence of ownership. Um, and if you look at the incidents of ownership. There are three that really stand out as distinguishing someone who, say, controls or has a right in information versus somebody who who owns it. So um, the three key ones here are sale, you know, being able to sell health records, transferability, and destruction. If you're an owner, um, you should have the ability to do all three things. Oh, that's that's why we we really need to think carefully on 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 those matters. Wow. Lots and lots of issues, lots and lots of questions. We don't have a lot of answers, obviously, but that's part of working through this new area. And it's it's very exciting. I really am excited about the potential, but there's also a lot of really serious issues that need to be thought about. So it's great that there are people like you that are really thinking about this in, in a lot of detail. Um, I think this is a great place to wrap up today. Uh, I encourage all the listeners to come to the Voice of Healthcare Summit where they can hear you speak in person more about uh, some of these issues. 
please tell listeners about some of your initiatives and ways that they can get involved with your work and how they can find you as well if they want to become more involved in what you're doing. Great. Thank you for asking. So um, I have the, um, the group, Electronic Health Consulting Group, and um, it's a group to connect people within um, the digital health arena, um, thought leaders, uh, practitioners, uh, anyone with an interest in this area. Um, and really, I started this group because I wanted to connect with people who are truly doing uh, interesting, unique research in this space. Um, you know, not the same research as everyone else. And so um, if you go onto the site, uh, you can click on the join tab and connect and that will send me a, a message directly, an email. And uh, just to get the conversation going, um, it would be great to hear your thoughts on um, the framework for lawmaking in the age of digital health. I really would enjoy discussing that with, with uh, people. And, and um, what's the web address for that site? Yeah, so it's um, www.e-healthconsultants.com. Perfect. Great. And is there anywhere else that you can suggest uh, listeners go to get in touch with you otherwise or learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So um, they're welcome to add me on LinkedIn or to have a look at my public profile with information and uh, get in touch that way. I think that's a good way to connect. Um, so really, I'm all about connection and collaboration and being able to share ideas with other people um, and definitely don't mind feedback or being thrown a difficult um, or challenging <laughs> perspective. It's it's really a great thing, I think, in the digital health space, um, you know, if we can learn from one another um, with all the different, you know, areas that people are looking into in this uh in this space, I think it's going to be a really good thing. So more collaboration and discussion amongst experts from a, a variety of different areas. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, again, uh, Bianca, thank you so much for taking some of your time uh, all the way from Australia to, to join uh, myself and the listeners here and to hear about your perspective. Uh, as, as I mentioned, this is the first time we've had a lawyer on the uh, show speaking about these issues from, from your perspective. And uh, boy, it really adds a lot to our discussion. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Terry. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. A completely different perspective on things that we really have to pay attention to in the uh, voice-first world, particularly as we continue to innovate in the healthcare space. So again, big, big thanks to Bianca Phillips for coming on the podcast the links that she mentioned, of course, will be on the show notes page, and you can access that at voicefirsthealth.com slash 31, voicefirsthealth.com slash 31. And as I mentioned, she will be speaking at the Voice of Healthcare Summit. If you are at all interested in this area, you've got to be there. It'll be a fantastic uh, conference. It'll be the second annual one put on at Harvard Medical School by the team at voicefirst.fm. Feel free to share this episode with anybody else that you feel might be interested in this discussion. Uh, I think this is a very unique discussion that we are just starting to have now in the uh, Voice First space. So until next week, uh, enjoy, and I will talk to you again very soon.